you're waiting on the one return. It's the gain. It's the gain or loss mm -hmm. from that property. Where in real estate, the whole time that it's been down, you were probably cash flowing, regardless of whether or not you got any appreciation or gain in the property. That's the reason why I'm so heavily focused on real estate. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high-octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips and Heather Marchant here to serve you again today. Mm -hmm. We're going to go back to we're going to go back to some basics today, which is going to yeah. be a lot of fun, I think. Especially I, go ahead. I presented at a with some investors yesterday live, and I was reminded that I take for granted a lot of the basic principles and knowledge of real estate investing. Yep. It's definitely something that, I mean, I had one lady raise her hand and halfway through the presentation and say, so I'm new, like, could you just back up 12 steps and help me understand what you're talking about, about this, this and that. And I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it just, I was just talking to a buddy of mine too about deal structure and all of the things that we take for granted in deal structure that's so creative and most people don't know. Yeah. And yet we value that in other people who have been doing whatever it is that they've been doing for a long, long time, you know, because they have a specialized knowledge. And if they start talking to you about their cool specialized knowledge, you glaze over, you're like, oh my gosh, like, I, can you just fix whatever it is? And the answer is always yes. Of course they can, right? But <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm one of the people who doesn't need to know. Like, I don't need to know all of it. Can you just, can you just fix it? Okay, great. That's, that's all I wanted to know. Can you fix yes. it? How much is it? That's all I care about. That's true. You've always kind of been that way, but you, you pick up on details really fast though. Like we'll be in the same meeting and I'll have five questions and you're like, okay, I got it. <laughs> so yeah. And I'm ready to move on too. Yes. I'm just, okay. Yes. Exactly. Um, I thought we would start with this. I thought we would start with this because Heather, I tell people this all the time. And I think a lot, a lot of it goes over their heads. So I figured maybe we'd break down this really quickly, but I was just talking to a guy two days ago about the stock market because stock market has taken a big crap. And, you know, I think we said that it probably would. It did. I didn't know when, but you know, it was inevitable. And it probably will again. Okay. So he was like, yeah, I can't pull my money out yet because now the stock market went down. I'm like, okay, let's just talk about stocks for just a second or, you know, mutual funds, slide whatever investment you want to into this. But I think take a second and think through this. Go ask your financial advisor for a stock or a mutual fund, whatever it is that you can own a hundred percent of that you can personally affect the value of that stock or mutual fund, that it has a, a really high dividend or a really high cash flow, that it has solid potential for really high growth, you know, gains. But here's the real kicker. <laughs> ask them for all of that and then ask them if you can buy it on payments over 30 years that someone other than you is going to pay and that even though somebody else is paying for it all, that you get the tax benefits. Which I don't even think you can legally do, which is awesome. <laughs> I mean, 
just think that through for just a second. Let's just talk about the last part of it. I mean, so, okay, we have this really cool investment, but how many investments can you go ask someone else to pay for Mm -hmm. by making your payments and above the payments, they're going to actually pay you some additional dividend or cash flow while the property is going up in value over time and you have 100% control of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know of anything like that. And that's the difference between real estate and nearly every other investment on the planet. Um, There are four returns. There's only one, potentially two in the stock market. You either get in a gain and a dividend or one or the other. You know, A lot of dividend producing stocks really don't grow that much. A lot of growth stocks, most of them don't produce a dividend. So I figured we'd start the show with that. Yeah. And then just walk through each one of these and kind of focus on what the difference is, because I think people get a little bit confused that real estate is the same. It's not the same. Yep. And one other thing, too, that there's massive tax benefits. You know, I mean, when I met with these investors yesterday, Ron, I didn't tell you about this, but one investor, his client of ours, came up to me and just said, man, like I need real estate professional status for my spouse, my wife, so bad. Like it was painful, painful for him because he's very high income earner and he owns rental property. And his wife, it was just like, eh, I'm not really interested, like tracking my hours. And that sounds like something I don't want to do. And she's, I guess, in a separate conversation said, well, maybe I should get a job. Like, maybe I should go back to work. And he, he said, he turned to her and said, no, please. Like if no amount of money that you're going to make is going to be worth it compared to what our tax benefits could be if you qualified as a passive real estate professional in managing our portfolio of properties. Yeah, so he I mean, said, I'm probably going to buy a vacation rental. Yeah, good. These are people who their tax bill is more than the amount of money that puts you in the top 10% yep. earn, income earners, just the tax payment alone. Look, most people in America don't pay taxes. Okay. Let's just be honest about it. Most people don't pay taxes. When you actually do have to write a check, you physically have to pay them. So, I mean, not that it got taken out of your check every month and at the end of the year, you didn't get a return. That is you you paying, but that's not the same as at the end of the year, you have to write a gigantic check Mm -hmm. to the federal government who is literally going to take a leak on it, burn it, and throw it down the gutter. It hurts to write a check and send it to people who don't care about it and are just going to waste it and abuse it because the amount of time and effort it took to earn that money for someone else to just piss it away hurts. It's offensive. Mm-hmm. I'll stop now totally. on that. We can start. We can go back to real estate now. I'm, well, just the percentage of it, you know, that you're having to give up is it's hard it's and if you consider that if you had it in your pocket still like your penny a day tax ron that you've talked about before you know having a growing your wealth by a penny a day and then you tax that illustration of what that looks like i mean it's a difference of what was it like several million dollars or something in 30 yeah, days it's it's the penny a day that's doubled compounded oh that's day. right doubled that's right right and that turns into I don't know. I can't remember. It's like five or $6 million, whatever it is. But if you tax it at capital gains rate taxes every day, like every time you get a gain, it's like $60,000. The difference yeah. is staggering. And then people don't realize that, right? So the, the massive tax benefits of this, of, of real estate, 
It's a big, big, big deal. Mm -hmm. But then the rest of this, like what stock can you actually control unless you're Elon Musk? What stock can you actually control? And what stock, even if you had some controlling interest, can you actually personally make a change to the stock that affects the value of the stock? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know any. And, and what if, you know, that you someone outside of you, right? So someone goes and makes a stupid decision and it affects the value of your stock, right? That like some other CEO can go out and make a statement about something controversial and the stock value plummets. Yeah. And I guess here's another one, Heather, that I left off the list that it just hit me. How many pieces of real estate do you know that ever go to zero? Yeah, that's a good point. Never. How many stocks go to zero? I mean, during the last crash, several Fortune 500 big, big companies went to zero, gone. And if you had stock invested in those companies, you just lost every zero, big zero. Yeah. Man, we should add that to our list. Yeah, I'm I'm doing it right now. How many (laughs) pieces of real estate do you know of that have gone to zero dollars? Mm-hmm. I don't know of any. No, I don't know of any. I had a client who was selling a property and the, I had referred him to a local agent and she showed up in the morning to go look at the property and she called me and she very rarely calls me. It's like a text email type of relationship. So it caught me off guard and I answered the phone and she said, so the fire marshal's here and the house burned down to the ground last night. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. So what, you know, you would think catastrophic loss right? Like fire, but he had insurance and he ended up selling the property to someone who wanted the land, right? So yep. <laughs> they just yep. they just tore down the property and rebuilt and he made out better than if he would have sold on the local market with the house actually existing. And I think you've had a similar situation, Ron, with fire. Yep. So. yep. It was very similar. Like I didn't rebuild the, build, uh, the, the units that burned down. We went over it at length, I think it was several podcasts, yeah. actually, we talked about that fire. Yeah, that's why you have insurance. I can't think of a scenario where it goes to zero. I mean, I even had a buddy who bought a property that had leaking. They didn't tell him, but it used to be a gas station and it had leaking <laughs> like gas reserve tanks underground. Mm-hmm. Property's still not worth zero. Yeah. Yeah. Pain in the butt, a lot of money uh, to clean it up, still not worth zero. Yep. I can think of one that's worth that's worth zero. So those are the differences between mm-hmm. stocks and real estate. And not the least of which, if you just want to talk about money. So for forget everything else, you just want to talk about money. What stock produces it that you stock or mutual fund that you can actually get? Because I know there's a lot of funds that are closed that produce ridiculous amounts of dividends for their clients. But what one that you can actually buy produces a dividend that's that's north of even 4%, mm-hmm. which is your cash flow. I mean, if we're comparing apples to apples, right? Which ones do that? I mean, even if you paid cash for the real estate and you didn't even leverage it, the cash on cash return leveraged, which, I mean, non-leveraged, which is the cap rate, those are still higher than 4%. Yeah. True, true. Preach. And so it's, it, I think um, I had a client years ago, I think we talked about it on the podcast that just said, I'm just going to keep my literally millions of dollars in stocks and real estate isn't really safe. And ironically, after real estate had a bit of a a dive uh, shortly, I mean, it was a short dive, he emailed me and said, oh, I know what it was. It was the eviction moratorium. 
He said, yeah. man, I'm sure glad that I don't have my money in real estate. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know? Yeah. So. <laughs> well, we're all saying, I guess, now we're all saying, I'm, I'm really glad we have our money in real estate. Yep. Even with the eviction moratorium, take the money out. Like, because here's the thing. You know, we've talked about our, our software that we've been going to launch forever and a day. We have some clients who are using it. One of the cool things about it is that it shows all of the returns. So mm-hmm. take the cash flow out this year, or I mean, in, in 2020, 2021, maybe cash flow sucked because of the moratoriums. Maybe it was horrible. Maybe you had to put money into the property. I guarantee you, no matter how much that you actually put in because of the, of the cash flow, you still made money. Yeah. Still made money. Which stock is like that right now? Stock market took a big old crap and you still made money on your stock? How many of them do that? Yeah. And then I think the other part that we haven't even talked about too is when it does go down, when stock market drops, to get back up to the value you were at takes, it is way harder than real estate in a lot of ways because you have to go well above and beyond like 100% if your stock value dropped enough, right? In order to recover what you lost and several mm-hmm. years of that. It's not and you're a, playing with one, you're waiting on the one return. It's the gain. It's the gain or mm-hmm. loss from that property. Where in real estate, the whole time that it's been down, you were probably cash flowing. You were mm-hmm. still getting your tax benefits and someone was still paying your mortgage down. You're getting three returns, which by themselves are double digit, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not you got any appreciation or gain in the property. That's the yeah. reason. So when people ask, Ron, why, like, why are you so heavily focused on real estate? Well, that's, that's the reason why I'm so heavily focused on real estate. I mean, there's some other places that you can put money as a store of wealth, but what other investment does as well as real estate? I'd, I'd love to know what it is. Yeah, that's so true. So if you know, just comment. I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear what it is. I'll start promoting it on the show if it is. <laughs> I don't exactly. know why. Yeah, me either. And the tax benefits alone is why I'm, you know, looking and trying to be aggressive this fourth quarter, just for the tax benefits alone. Yeah. So we had somebody who commented the other day, they used to be getting 20% cash on cash return on properties several years ago. And now cash on cash returns are, you know, somewhere between seven and 10%. It's less than half of what they were getting, you know, and the question comes up, well, why would you, why would you continue to buy in that? Okay. I get it. What other investment are you going to get that's going to give you 7 to 10% right now? Yes. Plus three other returns mm-hmm. all or, at the same time. Or you just keep your cash and you're just keeping <clears throat> it in checking because you're going, or savings even for that matter, maybe even a money market or something. But like you're keeping your cash going, oh, I'm going to wait till real estate corrects or whatever. And meanwhile, we're in an inflationary market where your money's worth less and less. Yeah, and, and I'm, not, I'm not even talking about reserves. I'm not talking about money that you should have parked. Yes, true. I'm talking about the money that you were going to invest anyway, right? So mm-hmm. this is money earmarked for investment. Where are you going to put it? I mean, you can put it in the stock market. You can, I mean, there's we, all of the things that we just talked about, mm-hmm. real estate being one of them. Even now, when real estate is not performing as, as, as well as it was two, three, four, five years ago, it's still outperforming everything else. Mm-hmm. And not by a little bit. It destroys every other investment. Yeah. 
And a lot of my liquid reserves, I don't know about you, Ron, but I have it in a whole life policy with cash value. So it's earning roughly 4% interest. And I just can borrow against it, against my policy, take my cash out if I needed to. So I mostly keep my day-to-day back and forth, like my monthly, maybe one or two months worth of money in checking and savings. I'm qualifying for a mortgage right now. And the lender was like, wait, so where's your your money? (laughs) I'm like, well, it's not in my checking and savings. It earns nothing. So I keep a lot of it in those cash value policies. So Mm -hmm. works Mm -hmm. awesome for that. So Yes. So, I mean, I I don't know how much more flogging we want to do on this subject, Heather, but I mean, these are simple concepts and they get glazed over. Mm -hmm. But I think people need to understand the difference. So let's just go over it one more time. Cash flow, 7 to 10% now. Okay. Somebody's paying down your principal, which is building equity in the property for you, increasing your net worth every single month. That return is, is roughly four to 6%. And the longer you have the note because of how amortization schedules work, the more principal they're paying down for you. All right. Next, we have the tax benefits, which are at least 3.6%. Mm-hmm. At, at least they're 3.6% return. But in some cases, if you do cost segregation studies, if you don't know what that is, you can go back and listen to some of our podcasts on that. But I mean, it's at least three. Yeah. So even if we started at seven, we had seven, we'll take the low end of the principal reduction. That's four, right? Now we're at 11 plus three. I'll cut it down to three, which it's more than that, but let's just cut it down to three, right? Now mm-hmm. we're 14. And that's if we never get a gain on that property ever, ever, yeah. which is not going to happen. It will go up. Mm-hmm. Might even go down first before it goes up. Yep. But it's it's going to go up. I have a client that updates his personal financial statement. And if you don't know what that is, we've talked about it before, but it's basically your assets versus your liabilities and breaking down what your true net worth is. And he says, man, I updated every single month. I look at, hey, I yep. my tenant paid me rent. I paid down the balances of all these mortgages. And my look at, you know, t- potential appreciation. But mostly it's just the tenant paying down the mortgage. And he just, he's like, every month my net worth increases, which is, it is totally awesome every month. Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing we were talking to, you know, one of our wealthier clients the other day, Heather, and mm-hmm. we're talking about a 15 year mortgage. He doesn't need the cash flow. He's got, yeah. he's got plenty of money. Cash flow is not really the issue. This is an investment where he doesn't need the cash flow. Mm-hmm. So you can aggressively pay down debt, aggressively increase your net worth. And when I say you can, it meaning your tenants can, right? Yeah. And because you can do it on a 15-year mortgage if you want to. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to get a 30-year mortgage. You can get a 30-year mortgage and just pay extra every year as well. Take all the cash flow and pay it down on debt. In any of those scenarios, you're increasing your net worth. And this is the thing that drives me nuts is that people forget about the other three and they, they focus on the cash flow piece, which is, I get it. I love the cash flow too. Everybody does. But if I have a bad month or a bad year on a property, it doesn't mean that I didn't make any money. Mm-hmm. It did not mean that my return on investment sucked. As a matter of fact, in almost every scenario, your return on investment was, was double digit. You just didn't realize it. Yep. It's amazing. 
I have clients say that when a big repair comes up too, and they say, this is my cash flow for two years. You know, I'm not going to have my cash flow. And I'm looking at it going, well, is it a capital expense? Can you write it off on your taxes? Like <laughs> there's, there's a lot. And is it, is it adding value to the property basically that you're making these yeah. repairs? And, and what else yeah. happened during that time yeah. period? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, we were just talking about this before yesterday too, because you know, we were talking about wealth and the creation of wealth and how it happens. It's a very gradual thing in the beginning. And then that compound curve, that compound curve, when you, it, yeah, I've never actually surfed, but my guess is that's what it feels like, right? Is when you actually catch a wave and it's pushing you now. Yeah, that's that's what I feel like wealth creation is, and the compound curve starts to push you, but it takes a little while for you to get to the to the edge of that curve when it starts to hockey stick up, but when it does, like you were talking about with your client, it's mm-hmm. unreal what happens. It's literally like monthly, quarterly, Mm -hmm. you're making these dramatic increases in your net worth by all of the different ways that we've just talked about. Mm -hmm. And it's almost effortless. It's not effortless because you have to manage your manager and all that other stuff. But when you look at the numbers in the beginning versus a few years into investing, the difference is staggering. Kind of hard to explain to people until you've experienced it. Yeah. Uh, And anyway. I hope that this is helpful. I hope that this has been helpful. The reason we love real estate is because it simply does not compare to other investments. It just simply not comparable. I don't want more to say about it, Heather. I know. I would love to be corrected. I would love to know if there's another one that I'm missing out on, right? Yeah, that I can (laughs) add to the portfolio. Bring it, people. Bring the heat. Absolutely. Love to see it. Yeah. Love to see it. All right. Well, as always, till next week, get out there and make something happen, folks. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.